Thank you for listening to Namat's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. All right, I'm here with the eyewitness of the Saskatchewan Sasquatch. I mean, his description was thorough. If I've beaten the lie that we're evil. Looks like the second half of the Creature Double Feature arrived. It's the last video for a while. Hit a wall with our Demon of Detroit Lakes piece. And you know, I'm just kind of sifting through my own existential crisis at the moment. You need to keep hunting for these things. They need something to believe in. You need to just keep searching for your truth. It's great stuff. Where'd this come from? I don't know, I just got it mailed to me. There's no name or return address on the package. I'm gonna give that guy a call, see what we can find. Doug Gray one. He just cut the greatest gift. Stay vigilant, my cryptozoids. We go out there, we see what we can find, and we do a little filming. Seems off to me. We're cryptozoologists. We should want things to be off. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. Doug Graywoods, you must be the guy with the video. I'm very excited about this whole chupacabra situation. Never had anything that exciting on here before. It's time to get famous. unknown now we simply fear being unknown hello and welcome to the matt's movie reviews podcast i am your host matthew perkovich and this is episode number 462 releasing september 6 16 on digital is Greywood's plot a pitch black comedy horror that tells the story of a pair of amateur cryptozoologists who investigate the sighting of a cryptid on a plot of land owned by an eccentric recluse. A labor of love shot in black and white, Greywood's plot is a creature feature that delightfully messes with convention and defies expectation. And joining me now are the filmmakers of Greywood's plot, Josh Stifter and Daniel Dignan. Josh and Daniel, I thank you both very much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. Thank you. So it's really interesting doing my research into this. And, you know, Greywood's plot, Josh, is really is a movie that in many ways is something of a bucket list item for you you're about to turn 30 you said to yourself before you turn 30 you want to make a feature film you found yourself at 31 you hadn't made that feature film yet and it's something that I can relate to there's so many things on my list as well in the work that I do that I haven't done I'm like oh shit better get my stuff in the gear and get it done right (laughs) yeah so when you hit that age of 31 and you're like there's this feature film I want to do what was Greywood's plot at that point was that an idea? Was that anything at all? Or is this something that really kind of came to mind at that point in your life and something that you really kind of wrote out? From what I understand, you use kind of like um, cards, right? To write down yeah. notes. It's like you do script writing, essentially. Your script comes a little later. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of the cards because, like, the reality is, is every moment that the audience sees on screen, every scene should have a reason to exist. So mm-hmm. when I break it down onto the cards and I'm just like, 
the simplest form. What is this scene? Why does it exist? That's how, sort of how it all comes to me. And so I started on those. Uh, this the story about me turning 31 and you did your research. I love that because that is you got to tell the thing that I've had to say 300 times now over mm. the past multiple years. But uh, I. Um, I really started when I was 30, like those note cards started when I hit 30 and went like, dude, you're in your thirties and you have a family, you have a mortgage, you have a career, like, but you, you had one thing you wanted to do. Why didn't you do that? When, uh, when that realization hit on, like on my 30th birthday, that's when I got to work really. And it wasn't until my 31st birthday that I could actually take six days off with my friends and convince them to go out into the woods and <laughs> film a, a movie. Um, so, so the, it really started around then and I did the note cards and we had a scriptment, we had sort of an idea. Um, but, and, and the, the idea was actually birthed long before that. I always wanted to make a movie where Daniel is a mad scientist. I just think that's such a fun concept to make your best friend into like one of the coolest human monsters they can be like dr frankenstein uh, you know dr moreau like these these creeps and i um so i when i started coming up with this concept it sort of kind of came together but then that first time we filmed we just sort of improved everything mm -hmm. and then the script actually came after that we went and filled this movie the good exorcist with rebel robert rodriguez's show rebel without a crew and then it wasn't until we finished that, that I went like, you know what, I'm if I don't make, I finished the bucket list thing. I made the feature because of the show, but if I don't make Greywood's plot, it's just going to be such a regret because I've lived with this idea in my head now for years. And at that point we were three years later and I was like, I got to make this or two years later. And I was like, I got to make this thing. And we, we pulled it together. Daniel, in regards to those six days, that initial shooting of Greywood's plot, like the phase one, you know, I guess you could call it, um, what was that like? Because, you know, Josh just said before, um, improvisational, was it more kind of like an experimental thing, kind of like kind of feeling things out? And you do have a guide in regards to the cards, but when it came to dialogue, when it came to, you know, that kind of like plot lines, et cetera, is that a thing where you guys are feeling things out over the six days and just seeing where the kind of like the story goes? And, and that is that like the the last uh, kind of like what the end product was, kind of like more of an experimental feature as opposed to a, like a more traditional structure kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Those first six days were uh, chaotic. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we we made sure to 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 actually celebrate his birthday as well. So there was some drinking and some hanging out. But um, yeah, it was definitely an experimental approach. We initially thought this was going to be more of like a mumblecore type horror film, you know, with some comedy and some some scares mixed into it. And we came back with the footage and it wasn't really, you know, we probably had like solid 30 minutes of, of usable work. And um, in that time, we found out, too, we were shooting in color and Josh started editing and he sent me some footage. And he's like, you know, if we turn this footage over to black and white, it has this um, very old school Universal Monsters, like 50s B-movie hmm. vibe to it. And that sort of you know sent us on this totally different trajectory and as josh had mentioned we sort of shelved gray woods for a while and then we got this opportunity to make a whole nother feature film 
And that one we we wrote a full script for and we we stuck to it pretty well. And we kind of realized, you know, if we're going to go back to Greywoods, um, we should probably write this thing down. <laughs> so so we did come back to it. We, we wrote a full script. We bounced ideas. We did a couple drafts. And uh, yeah, so so the the finished product is much more polished, much more fine tuned. Uh, we still improv and we still, you know, got to play around with things, but we had a much clearer vision and sense of what this story was after some time away from it. You know, Josh, it's really interesting. So you mentioned before you did the Rebel Without a Crew um, show with Robert Rodriguez, and from that came The Good Exorcist. And then you go back to um, Greywood's plot. What do you learn from that experience with Good Exorcist and Rebel Without a um, uh, Crew that you take back to this, you know, your first kind of love, your first kind of like movie? Because to me, you know what it kind of sounds like to me? It sounds like like you made a demo tape, um, you toured that tape around, and when you're playing it live, you know, you know, this doesn't really work and that doesn't really work, but I think if we do this, we do that, it might work a little better. Is, is there kind of like comparisons kind of similar to filmmaking? Yeah, big time. I mean, I think it is very much like we we made our first EP that we were really proud of and we tossed out there, but we we're like, we want to, we got to tell this story that's like way more important that mm. we're not going to have reality TV getting in the way. When we wrote The Good Exorcist, we we weren't ignorant. We knew that we were going to be on a reality show and we wrote scenes that maybe were more nonsensical or we made the movie a little sillier because we were like, if we're going to be on reality TV, let's have fun. Let's make this like a dad vacation um dad camp filmmaking and if we don't make a movie it's not going to be the end of the world we at least had fun um with graywood's plot we were like no let's make the movie like we'll have fun but this is our story that we really want to tell and we're really passionate about and uh, you know some of the fun things that i took away were watching it watching the good exorcist with an audience and seeing like what we can get away with as filmmakers like right. not over explaining things not you know the storytelling things that uh, it, ignorantly i would have done differently um i learned from and I, I i used audience reactions big time when i was going into it thinking more about what the audience would want but at the same time realizing like at some point we're going to end up having producers attached to our projects and we're going to have to answer to certain things and people are going to say you can't do a killer hobo animation midway through your movie like we're not going to be able to do that for forever so one of the things i took away going into this was let's just do whatever we want like mm -hmm. let's really make this our imaginations on the screen and no one's going to tell us no except for each other Daniel, when it comes to the occupation, to use a very kind of loose term of these characters, the whole kind of cryptozoologist kind of thing, or the amateur cryptozoologist thing, I try to really get into listening like to those kind of podcasts and watching the reality shows. I just can't, my bullshit meter kind of goes up and I can't, <laughs> I can't really get into it. When it came to having your characters be part of that, of this, of, of that whole kind of movement, was that something that was always there from the initial uh, early phase one kind of uh, part of Greywood's um, plot? Or is that something that comes along later? And what was it about that occupation in particular um, or that calling in particular that really spoke or really fit with these characters, do you think? Yeah, um, that was definitely something early on. Um, it was kind of a part of like the plot device to get our characters to the location. I mean, that was one reason for it. But also to speak to what you said, too, I think there is um, there's some desperation to this character. And I think he's kind of going through a crisis as well. Like, is this bullshit? Is this all make sense? Is this worth exploring? Is what I'm doing, you know, having any sort of impact? 
And so we kind of found those themes as we were going along and it just, yeah, it made perfect sense for this guy to be, you know, this sort of paranormal blogger that just is having this existential crisis of what, you know, does any of this make sense is what I'm doing, you know, meaningful. And yeah, so we kind of just kept pushing that throughout. And then, uh, like I said, it got our character to the location for, you know, the rest of the horror of the film to ensue. So, yeah. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you will love. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Amazon, the world's leading online store. Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. You know, Josh, it's really interesting what Daniel just said then about Dom in his existential crisis. And I think a lot of it comes from the lonely life of the YouTuber. Um, and yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I think a lot of times, like, you know, when people think YouTuber, they'll say, I don't know, the Paul Brothers or Mr. Beast and stuff, these guys oh, yeah. have millions and millions of stuff. That's great and all, but underneath the surface of that is like thousands and millions of, of people who just put in content up all the time, waiting for some type of validation in regards to comments or, I don't know, likes or what have you, right? And they don't get it. And the anxiety that comes from that, is right. can be quite immeasurable. Like I do YouTube stuff myself, but that's only a part of what I do. I do this as well and I write and such. People who go in like full full tilt and they quit their jobs and do this stuff and then that's all they got. And they try to get the validity from strangers to kind of like, you know, prop them up and such. I think it's a, it's a really kind of dangerous kind of thing. I think that's really where Dom finds himself too. Like not to give away too much, but at the start of the film, he's not in a good place mentally whatsoever. Um, no. and I think a lot of that comes from years and years and years of people just giving him down votes on his content. Um, and the content is what he is. And I think uh, it's a really kind of interesting thing they kind of tapped into there. Yeah. The, speaking to the, the last question, that was a big reason why I went with the crypto, the like the cryptozoologist, because when I was like a kid, you would watch unsolved mysteries. You would watch mm. even watching X-Files. You're like, man, this stuff could exist. And we live in an age where everyone is just so happy to tell you you're an idiot so someone who works in a field like that it like you would be the ultimate idiot if you can't actually show anything if you can't prove it and he's sort of like more digging into the history of stuff and like really interested in where these ideas come from and i think he's trying really really hard he's obviously he's got a six-part series on the what is it the something banshee whatever it is the (laughs) michigan banshee or whatever it is and i was just like that, that guy loves it so much and to be just torn apart by people who don't really care, aren't really mm. ready to, to tear or aren't really having a conversation. They just want to be smarter than the idiot that made this video. He's starting to realize he's the idiot. He's the laughingstock. And for me, there's like there is a personal element of that where like. Um, I've done, I, Dan and I were in a band for a long time thinking we we're going to be rock stars and having four people show up to concerts. You're just yeah. like, oh my God, why am I doing this? <laughs> or even making, I think a lot of this came from making Rebel Without a Crew and making a movie for $7,000 in 14 days with a reality crew following us around. And it was the biggest challenge you could put yourself under to make 
a feature film. And the amount of people who came out of the woodwork to tell us we did it wrong were just like, oh, <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> I want to see you guys do it. It's hard. Exactly. It's yeah. super hard. And so I think there was a personal element in that. You know, I obviously upped it to the extreme, but I sort of wanted to to show that feeling that we get as artists in the modern era when we're competing with so much content and everyone being able to connect and everyone's just waiting to be smarter than everyone else all the time. <laughs> you know, uh, Daniel, I wanted to talk about your performance as uh, Mr. Greywood. And um, something really interesting that I, I heard you say in the interview was that part of your approach to the character is that you didn't want to blink um, during your performance. And it's, it's really interesting because I don't know if you knew this, but um, Anthony Hopkins said the key to his Hannibal Lecter was he didn't want to blink. Like if someone's just looking at oh, you sure. and they're not blinking, you're like, what the fuck's going on with this guy? Yeah, right? And right, I think yeah. I think what's going on with uh, with uh, Greywood is, is exactly the same thing. That whole non-blinking thing, did you pick up those cues from like people like, you know, Anthony Hopkins and talk about their own monsters? Or is that something where you, self thought, you thought to yourself, you know, if I was talking to a person and they weren't blinking while looking at me, that would be a really, really efficient but simple way to um, unnerve a lot of people, whether it be your fellow cast members or the audience watching. Yeah, I mean, a little of both. I mean, I feel like definitely I've heard that Anthony Hopkins anecdote at some point and subconsciously, I'm sure I just ripped from that. Um, but I also like have very poor vision. So I, and I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't wear contacts. So every time we were filming, I could see like nothing. So I would just mess with Josh and Keith on set. And like, you know, anytime I'm just staring at them, I know I'm looking at a blob and I know it's them, but they, you know, I, I it's, it's not unnerving for me because I can't see anything. And they're just like, dude, you're creeping us out. You got to cut it out. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, well, let's just, yeah, let's just keep doing that. I'll just keep staring at you because <laughs> I could do this all day. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, Daniel, Dan, Daniel does this thing when he takes his glasses off where he like tries to see things. So his <laughs> eyes get really big. And I remember like the first time he did it, I was like, it's that first scene when Dom and Miles first meet Doug and he's like walks up to them kind of oddly and then starts a conversation. You first hear that Minnesota accent and his eyes were so big. I'm like, OK, Daniel, if you're going to not wear the glasses, you have to do this face through the whole movie. And he mm. just like leaned into it. <laughs> well, it's nothing like hearing about a majestic moose with like eyes that big, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then it would be even better because he, he'd like, you know, we'd have to do the lines and he'd like want to want to read the script. And I'd see him like pick the script up and like try to get it to the right <laughs> spot. And I'm just like, man, you made this so much harder on yourself than yeah. you needed to, but it works. It works. It definitely does work. It's something that like really we, I, I picked up on when watching it. Um, you know, Josh is really interesting yourself and Daniel, you've known each other since you're five years old. Is that correct? Yeah. Kindergarten. I think Daniel was five. I was six. Um, and you were both making little films back then. Like, um, was it your parents' video camera that you had and you kind of grabbed it in there? You were making like little uh, adventure films, short films, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I made them before we met. I think that was sort of the impetus to Daniel, Keith, or Daniel, Keith and I to make these movies. Keith, Keith's parents had one of those big, video cameras that like had the big arm thing oh, yeah. and like you had like a VHS pack attached. They had the whole deal. And that was the first time Keith and I had his mom film us. And we did some stuff with that before uh, Daniel was around, I believe. But then, you know, it was around the time that Daniel 
and I started hanging out that my dad bought a VHS camera, those the smaller, like not high eight, but the smaller cassettes that you put inside of a VHS. Mm. And um, his parents bought one too. And we, we would just try to grab them from our parents. Whenever we were hanging out, we were like, dad, can we use the camera? And if my dad would say no, I'd find a way to sneak it like later in the afternoon when he, you know, went to go watch TV or something. I'd be like, you can go watch, uh, tool time tim allen's show whatever the hell it was called and home improvement and home daniel improvement. and i will go yeah daniel and i will go film some <laughs> crazy little schlocky movie with water with our squirt guns but yeah we did this we did that forever till we were in high school we were filming little short films all the way up to high school and then in high school we daniel and i went to a private high school and where we were like in dorms and whatnot and mm. we would take any excuse to use a video camera i ended up buying a video camera or getting my dad's old camera and we would shoot videos for classes i would run around the dorm filming everyone and turn that into like a fun little like a spoof documentary or whatever so we've always been into it um but it's sort of evolved into us trying to find stories that we want to tell as friends and like push each other and write scripts that kind of shock each other and that's sort of where it all came from and our snippets of those kind of like those movies that you made when you're younger are they is that what's showing up yeah because i was watching it and i was like that looks very real that doesn't look like something that was made for that looks like something that was home video so that's you guys actually doing your thing and you just kind of put it in 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 the movie yeah Yeah. so there's that scene where dom and miles are driving to the land and you can see it in those things and originally i'd written like four scenes of jokes that keith and i did and we actually went and we shot them and i cut them together and i'm like we we are we're taking way too long to get to the woods i get that the comedy can be fun and it can be silly but we really got to get to the the meat and potatoes of this movie so i ended up just thinking about it and i'm like well what if i just like sort of symbolize that they're talking about their youth and like reminiscing and so i grabbed actual footage from some of those movies that we filmed when we were kids and I put it in there and then I actually put a little bit at the end as well. It's really cool. And Daniel, I want to bring up like the evolution of filmmaking since like when you guys started with, you know, that big old camera keeps appearance to these things, you know, these yeah. cameras, people <laughs> making stuff on iPhones and such. I mean, the, the speed in which the technology has just been really kind of like just over the years, like if you're just using your your timeline of you two and your friendship, I mean, it's just been kind of incredible. But with that also comes kind of like almost kind of like a debate where just because you have the technology doesn't necessarily make you a filmmaker, you know? What what do you think does makes a person a filmmaker? Is that they can film? Is that or is it does it is it more than that? Is it does filmmaking start with story? Does it start with the technology? Where does it all kind of come together for you guys, you think? Man, yeah, I think uh, I think it has to be a mixture of all of it. I think it has to be, yeah, the technology is there, but I think the storytelling really is what we found. And, and you know, we came up when YouTube was just blossoming and mm. nobody knew what it was. And we we tried our hand at that too. And we did like some comedy stuff, some sketches and routines. And, um, you know, some of it landed and some of it didn't. But, you know, uh, the feature filmmaking was a whole different beast. And I think really for us, what we found was, yeah, that's that storytelling, have finding our voice and finding, you know, something we wanted to tell and 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 then capturing it on film. You know, I think it one kind of informs the other. And, you know, Josh has definitely, you know, he he started or he went to college for animation. So he started to have this eye for for 
you know, the moving image and, and how to, how to express story through imagery. And, but I think once we got better at writing and once we found stories we wanted to tell, that was really the secret sauce for, for us. And Josh is really interesting that when it comes to, I think the first step of anything is to just do it, isn't it? Just put that first step in the deep end and just go into it. Cause I know with myself, when I do like my reviews and my, my video reviews, I kind of overthink it. I kind of overprepare. Mm-hmm. And I think over, over preparation can be the death of creativity. So a lot of times what you need to do is just do it. And from that comes, you know, good things. Cause I imagine the first phase of what you did with Grey Wood's plot, that was just used to saying, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go in the deep end. We're going to shoot. Let's see what it's like. And it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be a start. And I think at the end of the day, the start is what you really need to get to the finish line, isn't it? 100%. And the start, the start is the hardest part, but it also will actually tell you if you want to do it. One of the big, that's like one of the big things I always say, I'm like, just start. And the reason why you should just start is because you'll find out real quick if you actually care about it once Mm. you start doing it. Because I mean, but between the two movies, we've made two features over four years. And between the two features, I've sunk more hours into them than anything else in my life. And I've, I've sort of pro it's it's proof to me that I love to do it because I still love to do it. I'm editing another movie right now. And the fact that I can keep going at it is that proof. But yeah, it was it was starting. It was that first day when I it was like three days before my 31st birthday a day before Dan and Strauss and Keith showed up and I went to the woods by myself and went into that cabin and walked through the woods at night by myself and just was filming B-roll going like, I could get eaten by a bear out here. There's tons of bears in Minnesota right now. That mm-hmm. It's overpopulated. I'm like, I'm so into this that I can't wait till they arrive. I have to go film. And I stayed up till like 1030 filming, went to bed, I mean, I had a few drinks, then went to bed and then got up and woke up and there was like a fog over the field. It's a shot that's in the movie where you could see the birdhouse and there's like a fog behind it. I woke up and shot that and was like, it's 530 in the morning and I'm so excited to do this that I'm up filming right now. I don't even want to sleep anymore. I want to be filming. And that excitement, you know, it it has its ebbs and flows, but I really think that that was the mo- that starting was the proof. Like I love this, and I'm I want to make this. I want to make movies. <laughs> so for everyone out there listening, September 16th, Raywood's plot. I really recommend people check this film out because I I love when I get like lately I've been getting some films sent to me that've been like a real surprise because I get so many films sent to me, especially kind of mm-hmm, like horror sure. features. I like to be surprised. I like to watch something that's different. I like to watch something that's innovative and creative, and that's really a lot of the stuff that you guys really hit that. Um, with your movie awesome so um congratulations to you guys best of luck with the release and um yeah when your next feature i think you're doing is it um uh scumbag is what you're yeah um, scumbag is one that i um i filmed during the pandemic and um i because i couldn't film with anyone i used that as the excuse to like make a movie be a real rebel without a crew no crew just me and so i'm in the process it's been a long process of editing and a move from minnesota to atlanta and a lot of other stuff but i'm in the process of finishing that one up right now and i'm really excited to get something really weird out there um and then dan and i just are we're in i just finished the first draft of another feature uh, tentatively titled Band-Aid Face, and Daniel is grabbing that one and working on the second draft in our sort of process of writing back and forth. So I'm excited to see what he does with it. 
Well, until then, Grey Woods Plot, September 16 on digital. Everyone do check it out. Josh and Daniel, I thank you both very much for your time today. Best of luck with the film's release and hopefully we are again soon. Thanks so much for having us, man. Thank you.